Hey folks, Brian here. So with me today, I have a really special guest. Um, he is the DM of Natural 20, and he's a fairly a recent friend of, of mine. Um, I say fairly because we technically have, <laughs> we've only met in person just now, but we've talked over Instagram and social media. Um, we know Cameron from the D&D Coalition. And, you know, really when you're a part of like the D&D community, I feel that you're just already, you know each other. Come on now. So um, this is my friend, Alan. Alan, how you doing, bud? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I very much appreciate it. No, you know what? It's an honor to have you. It's 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 awesome to connect with other people within the community. Um, you know, one next time, hopefully, it's not going to be over Skype. It'll be in person. <laughs> so, yeah, I hope so, so, uh, so if you don't mind uh, talking a little bit about yourself, um, you like I said, you stream for Natural Twenty. I know you can be found on Instagram, Natural Twenty D and D. Talk a little bit about that. Oh, um, well. So we've recently started streaming uh, a new campaign on twitch.tv slash rollnat20. Um, mm-hmm. Prior to that, for about a year and a half, over a year and a half, actually, we podcasted, uh, the, the group that I'm currently streaming with and I podcasted a, a boxed campaign, a, a setting called uh, Fr- uh, Tyranny of Dragons. So we yeah. did the whole thing, right? Uh, so yeah. Uh, I'm happy to say, well, no, spoiler alert. I'm happy to say that Tiamat didn't ruin the day. Um, but, uh, it was, it was a learning experience for me because that was actually the first game I had ever DM'd ever. Um, so, but during that time it was invaluable experience, right? (laughs) As you you know, (laughs) when DMing, um, especially within a, within a new setting. Uh, and it also inspired me to actually do a lot of work writing the custom world that my, my players are currently in now, um, and that we are currently streaming. What's that called, if you don't mind me asking, for the audience? So the world is called Yilara, Y-A-L-L-A-R-A, Yilara, and they are on the continent Anayur. Okay, awesome. So what? Um, when did you start playing uh, D&D or, or tabletop games in Ooh. general? So I had, you know, some passing forays into the tabletop space um, growing up. However, I didn't ever really dive into it until one of my dear friends introduced me to it. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, playing Tyranny of Dragons, right? Yeah. Uh, I popped into that campaign um, that he was running via um, Roll20. Okay. So um, played in that campaign for a while. That was 2013, I want to okay. say. So fairly Not recently, um, within the decade, within the yeah, decade. within the decade, yeah. Um, so that was actually my first official jump into tabletop RPGs. Sweet. Um, so, but I it hasn't stopped since then. It just kept <laughs> once the ball started rolling down the hill, it just it just kept going. It's an avalanche, man. Yeah, it's absolutely. An avalanche of adventure and. Um, you know, I notice, and, and again, I don't mean to assume, but your world seems very, just from the title of it, it seems like you have a lot of like different, like high fantasy, um, influences. Like, could you talk a little bit about that? And could you talk a little bit about what inspired you to even get into like D and D? Right. So I think a lot of it was, I really wanted to build this sandbox and I always had this urge to, and I, I can't sit here and be like, I've always wanted to be a writer, right? Because that just, I, that actually never really crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. I can't sit here and say that, you know, this is, uh, 
this just kind of happened upon me where I was sitting one day and I said, well, it would be really neat if, Mm. right? That, and that is kind of how this all began, right? Is it'd be really neat if the world was this, if the world was this, perhaps if the Pantheon had this in it. Um, and from it, all of these kind of jumbled thoughts began existing on various pieces of paper. Uh, I kid you not, I would literally wake up in the middle of the night, scrawl on a notebook and then roll over and go back to bed. Um, So there was a lot of influence from a variety of different spaces of both high fantasy, uh, kind of like Baroque Gothic feel. Um, and I really wanted to look at it and examine, I wanted to examine a lot of different central themes throughout mm-hmm. the world, but it was, it was very much, I wanted it to feel organic and I wanted it to feel real and I wanted it to feel tactile. So when somebody, um, so when the players, any players that I've had sat down and, and played in the world, it felt real. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, to answer your question, it was, there, there was a number of influences. Um, and I realized, and I think the thing that I realized the most, and it kind of hit me, it really did just hit me out of the blue was, you know, I'm just one person. It's just one brain here. Right. And, and having a group of players be able to act in a world that their decisions had impacts and ripples throughout both the history of the world itself and within the campaign that they were playing, that was going to be the the biggest driver of of um, quote success unquote. That is what how I would how I would determine the success of the world is their decisions driving the world itself. So rather long winded, but that's that's really kind of the 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 uh, the, the thought. I I really love how you talked about. Um the realness of the world and kind of creating a world where your players can feel like, okay, I live in a world where yes, dragons exist, but it feels, you know, just as real as this coffee mug. Well, technically it's a beer stein, but don't, don't tell that to anyone. <laughs> um, I use it for coffee primarily. Um, <laughs> you know, you want to have that real life kind of thought process. So, like, how do you view that with encounters? Like, so when you create a, a, an encounter um, for your stream, or even if you're just kind of having fun playing at a friend's house, you know, not that streaming isn't fun, but yeah. how do you create that, you know, how do you create that memorable or meaningful encounter and make it feel realistic, so to speak? Ooh, um, Wow, there's a lot. There's a lot there. So I'll kind of answer that in two ways, right? One for um, one is kind of like this very weird, not weird, this very real and kind of grand example, and mm-hmm. the other more of a of a, what I kind of view as the minute um, encounter. So when when you say encounter, right, what I hear is players engaging with me in my role as a dungeon master, not necessarily mm-hmm. combat. It is any time that there is that engagement. Correct. Right? What- whether it's an encounter of role play, let's say mm-hmm. that, you know, your players are going to interact with the blacksmith, right? Right. Um, or perhaps it is a combat encounter, but either way, because, and I think you and I ag- would agree upon this, an encounter isn't just combat. It is the interaction yeah. between the party and the dungeon master's, you know, role, NPC, whatever right. you want, you know, fill in the blank. That interaction is an encounter because there's an opportunity for tension and drama to be had. Right. Right. Absolutely. I would agree completely. Right. And I, so on the grand scale, mm-hmm. I, 
kind of to zoom out a little bit and talk about the way that I approach designing the world. Um, I realized early on that there were a lot of events in history that I would really like groups of players to dictate prior to my my party, right, taking over when they do in year 832, right? So okay. that is when the party takes over. Got it. Um, there were events in history that I knew would happen as they were written in lore the way that I had, had written the world. Um, but I wanted other groups of players to get involved in those events in some way and dictate outcomes, whether they are parties, factions. In fact, even the even what I would call like, I'm not even going to call it the BBEG because that's not that doesn't necessarily exist as of yet, right? But not to reveal too much about the world, as I'm attempting not to do, but it is... So I had a group of so on the on the on the macro scale, I had a group of players. A friend of mine reached out and said, "Hey, I want to I want to play in a game. I want it to be a one shot, but I mm -hmm. want to be a high level." And I said, "Okay, uh, that's interesting. You know what level were you thinking? Right? I mean, you've got twenty, which is world alteringly powerful, and yeah. then you have ten, which a lot of folks would argue is not an insignificant amount of power." Mm -hmm. um, Maybe he said, well, oh yeah. He said, well, like maybe 15, 16. I said, okay, great. Find a group of five people, mm -hmm. roll up a character that is level 16. There are very few restrictions. Just reach out to me ahead of time. And we are going to put you smack dab in the middle of a, 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 a um, kind of a golden age of mm -hmm. the world, which is, which would have been 400 years prior to my players now in the world. Yeah. Right? So like, let's just put you in history. The events that they, first of all, the threads that they chose to take, right? There were multiple that they could have done. I, I we had the kind of a session where it's like, you know, what's the feel that you want it to be? Do you want it? To, how do you want it to to feel? Mm -hmm. uh, what's the type of story you're looking to tell? Um, things of that nature kind of helped me narrow that down. Uh, essentially, essentially, they settled on a story that fundamentally altered who I I thought in my brain the main antagonist would be in my current campaign. It and literally got wiped off the table. So the challenge for me as a DM at that point was to say, I've allowed my players to rewrite the history. Mm -hmm. What's the next steps here? Right? What are the next steps that I, I will take? So yes. that was a huge challenge. And I think for me, it was, it was, um, oh, it was such an exploration of just player creativity, interacting with the world, right? Um, and then saying, all right, they've made these decisions. I don't want to retroactively say that didn't happen, right? Yeah. It happened. It's a part of lore. It's in books. So, so we got to figure out what else is happening in the world. Yeah. So that's kind of macro scale, right? Okay. When they sit down and, and I actually let the players know, I was like, you have fundamentally altered the history that I had already written, right? Like I have to go and delete a bunch of Google Docs. I'm not <laughs> deleted. Just put them over on the side, right? Yeah, for sure. Because um, that can always be like your alternate earth. Right. Right. Yeah. Like that's. That's that timeline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I, I actually I talked about uh, comic books and how it I think it's really it can really help your world building, you know, muscles, so to speak. And one thing, you know, we all forget about is, oh, there's alternate Earth. There's Earth 616. There's Earth yep. this. Like you can do so much with that where it's almost like. You know, I personally think that as a world builder storyteller, because, you know, just like you, I don't consider myself a writer. I don't I think really, mo you know, most people may agree with this, but your players, you know, the DM, whoever, you're all kind of writing this 
story together, but you're not necessarily a writer like George R. R. Martin. Absolutely. You're not really, you're not taking, and if you do want to do that, great. You can take your campaign and make it into a book. Go ahead. That'd be awesome. But I think, you know, I, I'm the, I'm the person that thinks, okay, like, you know, there's always, you know, I always save my material um, just because you never know that can always be um, used in the future. So, Mm -hmm. You know, kind of going on that note, though, you know, we talk about world building and we talk. I feel like that's, you know, one thing that most people might know or or, or rather I hope that I bring this value to the folks listening is trying to encourage everyone to be a world builder. But what is a world builder? You know what I mean? Like what constitutes someone who builds a world? Like, you know, in my opinion, I think it's just someone that. You know, you have an idea and you start rolling with it, whether you're inspired, you know, you could take I mean, I think, again, correct me if I'm wrong. um, If you want to recreate fantasy Marvel, go for it. Yeah, that's what I think, at least. Right. And so you've hit the nail on the head and I would even not not to try to like make it too grandiose, but I would argue that a world builder is somebody who, regardless of what you're playing, Mm -hmm. right, has the ability to interact with your group right especially from the so from the dm perspective right you interact with your group in a way that is meaningful and take their decisions into account and the ripples that they have if you are able to do that then the world builds itself because the players are actively involved and engaged in doing it and that goes down to the micro scale of a conversation with an apothecary right mm-hmm. which which has happened in my current campaign and is a ripple that is massive oh, and far bigger than the characters know right oh. They only know it was a bad maybe shopkeeping interaction. Maybe we shouldn't talk too much about it if they, if you're right. listening. If you're, uh, <laughs> right. player it's like if they are, sorry guys, but it's spoiler <laughs> <laughs> right, alert. Right, I mean, but so those are things that like we agreed upon, right? I think when we had our when I, when we had our initial session zeros because it yeah. was multiple, right? Like it was for sure. I sat down. I was like, here are the themes that I would like to explore. These yeah. are the overarching thematic elements. Bam, bam, bam. Mm-hmm. Rank them one to three. Which one do you like the most? Yep. Right. All right. One is we're going to have a lot of three. We'll have some of, but it won't be necessarily as prevalent. Let's zoom that in a little bit. One, two, three. Like, and we did this exercise where we actually zoomed into where we were able to read. And one of the things that they all decided was we want interactions to mean something. Mm. And even the smallest ripples have big impacts. And I said, okay, so we are agreeing as a collective that <laughs> small decisions you make can and will impact the world. Um, And I think that if you're able to take that into account in game, in real time and take those, I'm, I, I, I take an inordinate amount of notes. Um, So if, if on my Twitch stream, like if I'm not watching the players, I'm right as I'm watching, I'm writing horribly scrawled notes in my, (laughs) my notebook as they're talking, right? Because it means something, right? They might forget it, but the world might not. And that's okay. Yeah. That's true. And and that's something. And, you know, I love how you presented that because, you know, one thing I've been playing around idea wise is that. And again, my players right now are kind of in the golden age. Um, I'm going to I'm running another group kind of backwards, but they're in the silver age. Yeah. Uh, so they're actually going to be able to the way I'm running it, which, again, my, my I know some of my players um they don't care whether I spoil things or not, because as they said, 
it's the fun of playing so whatever they they don't even want to spoil it for themselves but for those for my players who may be listening cover your ears um (laughs) i am allowing a bit of a bit of a ripple in time where something that was done in the silver age is going to affect them now and i mean anything that my players do now in the golden age of my uh, of my campaign they are essentially going to you know anything that they do it's going to bite them not in a bad way it could be a good way but i'm playing with the idea of ooh, how did they interact with this dwarven blacksmith who in the back of his head he has been you know considering uh retaking that dwarven glory and kind of saying you know what i'm tired of us being friends with all these people you know i don't want to be a global or whatever whatever you want to say playing around with that type of idea and saying hmm if an elf you know we have a half elf in the party and what's going to happen i want to i'm i've been playing around with that that idea and i again i really like what you said how the the smallest thing can affect that story in a big way because as the players they're focused on their lives just like we are focused on our lives as you know human beings but we tend to forget that the little things that we do you know as cheesy as it might sound you know we we may smile to, at someone and right. that may improve their day right you know versus hey we acted a certain way or we cut someone off on the on the street and now that person might have a bad day or have exactly. done to us so right. i really like how you're incorporating that i really think that that's kind of the honestly that's how you really bring tension and drama into a story well and it's real right i think that's the biggest yeah. thing it's real right so i i told my i told my group of players kind of at the beginning of all of this saying in this world it is written these these npcs right they're people too just like you they might be a non-player character but i'm telling you that nine times out of ten mm-hmm. i have written motivations and backstories for all of them how important do you think backstories and motivations are for um dungeon masters game masters that are just starting out i would say all right so that's an excellent question i leave that to the dungeon master's discretion okay but i would argue right even if you're able to write a two word motivator for any npc Mm-hmm. Whether it be a blacksmith saying high prices, right? Like that blacksmith is always going to try to shoot for the highest price. However, yeah. that morphs into the future. Let it morph that way and let it be organic. Just make sure you keep note of it because what happens in that improv role play is is nine times out of ten the correct thing that happens. So, yeah, yeah. I would say that if you don't want to dive into because for me sometimes if it's a great example is this. Um, the Braumeister, which is essentially like the mayor in my world, it's a it's a combination of a couple of, of words in other languages, right? Because that's literally like Google Translate. That's where I'm at most of the time, trying to find fun <laughs> fun words. Um, yep. So right. <laughs> so the Braumeister, I didn't give a lot of time to to him, but what I what I wrote was good natured, honest, clumsy. Right. Those are things mm-hmm. things that I wrote about that Braumeister. Nice. And it turned into a lot more where like I originally didn't write a family, but I had a random table. So I was like, he seems like a family man in the moment. Let's pull that in. Right. So I I don't necessarily think it's important to have a litany about every single NPC, 
But I think it's important for you to give yourself a platform upon which to build. And that looks different for every dungeon master. For sure. You don't have to go, you know, J.R. Tolkien or or <laughs> or George R. Martin where you're like, you know, you know, how uh, King Robert Baratheon first <laughs> name, House Baratheon, dark of hair. Like you don't you don't have to have that. I mean, yeah. it'd be cool. You know, have I teetered with the idea of, you know, I don't know, getting a big old, you know, leather bounded book to have to hand to my players and, and learn calligraphy? Maybe. Yeah, right. Here's lore. Go. Like, <laughs> yeah, here you go. Now you have. Oh, and by the way, if you're reading this thousand page uh, thing, uh, make sure you read it by candlelight just to have more of the effect, um, which I'm not going to lie, folks. I do play by candlelight uh, when the moment comes to it just because. Mm-hmm. It, it just it acts as something you know of the senses and that's something i want to bring up to you for as a dungeon master yeah how do you think and how do you feel about catering to the five senses of your players right you know we all learn you know we all learn different ways you know some people might be touch some people might learn through you know some type of some visual or some mm-hmm. audio perhaps they need you know maybe smelling something like yeah. Um, and I know there's a bunch of companies out there that create um, candles that make candles or rather they're candle makers and they have different scented candles for fantasy you know role playing. And there's you know, there's a whole spectrum of things. Yeah. How do you feel about that catering to those um, for your players? So I think it's massive, right? Um, so a little bit of background on me. I work in the learning space, right? Like that's my okay. profession. So um I think that it is incredibly important that we engage as many senses as possible to try to drive engagement, right? Um, So to your point, right, I have very close friends here in Florida, um, the Crafty Gamer, who I literally like clean out their stock as often as I can. I've got one of their wax melts going right now, Underwater Cavern. It's my favorite, right? So um, along with the Forest of the Fae. Right. Like they, that, that's just amazing for the folks out there listening to the podcast or to the show. Um, the collection that Alan has is just I'm I'm not not in a I, I wish nothing in an evil or a negative sense, <laughs> but I am jealous. I, I would love to one day just be in awe of the terrain and the. I'm just that's that's my thing. Sorry. But. No, it, no, it's but I think it's hugely important Um, when I when I so. When I first started wanting to DM, everything that I wanted to do was theater of the mind. And then as I began watching the players engage and the questions that they were asking and the things that they were looking for, I -hmm. found that there were I needed a a a tactile way to engage with players Mm -hmm. because we can switch back and forth between something that is very RP heavy and we are going to be talking and looking at each other around a table. And then we're going to move to something that will require something that is visual so that they might make the best decisions. That's always what it came back to. How can I equip my character? How, how can I equip my players with the tools to make the best decisions possible in the moment? Mm-hmm. Right, wherever it applies. So that that led to me getting <laughs> one 3D printer, and now I have three. And that's my wife. I, I love her dearly, and I thank her so much for <laughs> for supporting this. Yeah, let's, right, let's... three three D printers, and like I built a table. Like the table that I have in here is I built it. Um, so, and then it was, it was all in an effort to, it it was in service to the players. Is it cool? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's cool. 
But at, at its very core, it was in service to the players. And don't get me wrong, right? Like, I've got shelves and shelves of minis and terrain here. But um, it, it's I would not have that if I didn't have the group of players that I had who wanted to engage with me like that, right? So that's that's what drove it all to begin with. So, yeah, I think it's super important, back to your question, to to, to engage as many senses as possible. Scent is massive. I think mm-hmm. that um, it is the strongest form of not well. I have read in a scientific publication or two, right, that it is the strongest <laughs> form of memory recall. Um, mm-hmm. Having visual aids is huge. I've started print, 3D printing props where I can or yeah. manufacturing props in terms of notes that are handwritten that can be um, given to, to players for different uh, portions of their um, backstories and things. In fact, one of my players who is playing a wizard actually bought a notebook and has been writing down his spells. He's having it be a spell oh, book. that's cool. Right. So that he he because he's like, hey, this is neat. If I'm a wizard, it's going to be my journal and it's going to be my spell book. And I was like, that's incredible. So, uh, I mean, I've got hold on. I've got this is sealing wax. I have so many sticks of sealing sealing wax because I'll make and seal letters for them. Right. So some of which they'll never get. And that's okay. But it's there. And it's part of the fun of being a DM. Yeah. Like, like, you know, I have a quill and I have ink and I have written letters and parchment paper to hand to the um, players and the joy and like on their face when they receive this parchment letter that was written in quill. And then I may or may not have learned how to use invisible ink to then (laughs) write something because they now are like, oh, let me put it towards like fire or candlelight or whatever. Yep. And now they have a secret message. You know, when you know when people talk about thieves can't and talk about all these different lang- it's it's one of those things that, hmm, what's your th- what's my thieves can't look like? What is that? You know, or you know what? Hey, what is a player? How do they think about it? I but I but it all comes back to those those aids, right? The yeah. the, the visual, the hearing, the everything where you can I you know sometimes I've thought about when they go to a bakery or a rest or like a pub so to speak. Yeah, I can have something playing in my background, you know, tavern noises and kind of like the the crackling of the fire. Um, but burn some cinnamon or do something of that, you know, just to kind of have the wafting of like the kitchens coming in and they're baking pies. Yeah. Perhaps. Um, I think that's really important. I think just for those for those dungeon masters or game masters that are starting out, like whatever you personally can cater to and can can do. That's great because you know what? Like you said, you have what? Three 3D printers, correct? <laughs> yeah. That's part of your hobby though. That's part yeah. of the passion that you enjoy. Right. Like, it, like be, people, I think the most underrated thing is BGM. Mm-hmm. Right. That's massively underrated and super easy. There are scores and scores, if you'll pardon the pun, of YouTube videos <laughs> that exist solely to cater to dms and their gameplay or maybe right if you don't want to go digging put on skyrim ambiance yeah right that's huge oh for the folks out there i just realized this could you explain what bgm is um for the audience who may not know absolutely so uh, bgm is just background music right and that I I have a running list of background music sorted into a variety of different playlists depending yep. on mood or the mood yep. I'm attempting to create. Yep. Um, there was a time people find. I, I, where do I find it? 
Yeah, where where can people find theirs or your you know how you found yours? Where can oh. people find it? So if you I love a composer by the name of Kevin McLeod. He's incredible. Um, he is an amazing composer. All of his stuff is on YouTube. It's also all royalty free, right? Yeah. So that's a, that's a plus for content creators like you and I. For sure. Um, but even if it wasn't, man, is he good. <laughs> man. Yeah, and it's that like if unless you're streaming, which again, because of your stream, you have to consider those things. You have to worry about whether or not this thing is royalty free or not, because you're using that material and you're broadcasting yep. your stream. Um, in my group, and again, for most people out there, the average person may not need to care about that because yep. if you're playing and you're not publishing it or doing anything of that sort, you can go. I mean, I have a playlist you could probably check out on my channel, but you, I have playlists that I set up for the different ambiance. So, you know, if they're in the woods, now from that, you know, that's a wood, you know, kind of a, a woodland ambiance, but perhaps it's a dark wood. Maybe it's yeah. a creepier wood. Maybe it's a little bit of a haunted wood. Or maybe it's the it's a fae. Maybe it's the fae. Maybe mm -hmm. it's kind of Alice in Wonderland, because that's how I view the fae in yeah. my world. The it's Alice in Wonderland, everything, you know, up is down, down is up, kind of all that weird, trippy um, you know, nonsense. Yeah. And that's, you know, and again, the phase is a little different because the I was heavily inspired as a kid by Lord of the Rings. You can ask anyone who knew me growing, growing up, I was and am still a Tolkien fan to the end. <laughs> My elves look like the elves in Lord of the Rings, and they act very much like that. Um, they carry certain traits uh, in the sense of like, you know, even half elves, kind of like how... Um, Elrond chose his he was a half elf but he chose his elven lineage and he therefore is now immortal I have a very similar ceremony for those players who want to do that so going back to you know there's a soundtrack for everything if you really think about it there's a soundtrack for everything absolutely I love how you brought up the Skyrim ambiance because really Skyrim you can most likely if if you've thought of it they have it. Yeah, for sure. There's a there's another incredible there we have background music which I put into one bucket so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. And then we also have like background noise. Maybe there's ambient noise and there's also incredible content creators out there who do that, right? I yeah. turn to YouTube for that there is a, a the YouTuber of Sword Coast Soundscapes. Wow, that is a mouthful. But I and I mess it up every stream. Um <laughs> no, you're good. But his Rolodex of, mm -hmm. and literally every playlist is an hour, every every video is an hour and a half long. So you can just forget it. You can set it and forget it. And it, it's it's just, it's so nice to have those types of resources and it does wonders. Yeah, no, for sure. It, it really takes the, the kind of the pressure off the DM to have to plan and have, you know, different things going on because I don't know about you, but I feel a lot of times you are juggling the facilitation of the game and then you're making sure that this noise or that noise captures, you know, obviously if there's an ad playing, it's kind of like, oh, it kind of kills the mood, but you do what you got to do. Yep. Um, and and it, it could be, it could be YouTube, Spotify, it doesn't matter what, but either way, it still does that. So it's, 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 it's a bit of a balancing act. What, mm -hmm. oh, speaking about that, what do you say to those game masters dungeon masters who find it a bit difficult or a bit challenging to balance all that what do you say to them to kind of 
one, maybe encourage them, but two, help them balance that? Uh, one, every game master, and I, I mean, I feel comfortable saying this, and I don't want to speak on behalf of every game master, but I'll speak on behalf of myself. I still get the butterflies every time I sit down. Every After every game, I kind of do a, a recap, the X's and O's, as it were, and say, what could I have done better? What could I have done differently? What did I miss? Um, and, but I think whatever you can do to organize yourself in whatever way that looks like to you, right? Mm-hmm. How, does, how does the organization look to you? Yeah. Mine is I have a wiki, right? Like I have a, my own personal wiki that I build and look at. And there's nice. it used to be Google Docs, but then I, I that was not my type of organized and I could not hold it up and maintain it. So yeah. it became a wiki. Um, yeah. And then I just I think at the very core of it, don't don't write yourself or prep yourself into a corner. Mm. Right? I think that that was my biggest mistake as a GM was at least the first time uh, Game Master Dungeon Master was like, I'm going to prepare myself and I'm going to be so ready. I'll have all the answers to all the questions. And the reality is the only person who I think really cares about that is you. The players want to come and play and engage and have their decisions and their actions mean something. So if you give yourself, again, a platform by which to jump from and have a variety of these things like, okay, if this happens, this happens. If this happens, this happens. I also know within a 10-mile radius, there's this, right? So I've got myself covered on my map. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then if the players go to that forest that you didn't prep for, well, you know the forest is there and you have two words that are adjectives to, to go with the forest and you can build from there. Right. And it becomes a forest. And I'm actually, you know, for the audience out there, I'm actually type. I'm writing that out right now. Don't write or prep yourself into a corner because it's so, you know, and have it right here on my phone. Because <laughs> that is such a good that is such a good quote. And I'm I'm going to probably quote you just to let you know. Uh, sure. obviously all credit towards you. Shout out. Shout out to Helen. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things that it's so true. I feel that a lot of times world builders, you know, DMs, game masters, whatever you call yourself, even players, again, being world builders, you prep yourself, you write yourself into a corner. I, I kind of laugh at the memes that circulate that it's like you got the one guy who writes a 10 page backstory and then into the third session they die. And it's like you wrote yourself into a corner, bud, like it happens. And it happened. I think it's also you get really excited about it, but there has to be a balance between okay, I'm going to write, you know, whatever I write, and I'm gonna let it flow. Whatever happens, happens. Because you're also, I think, if you write too much, as both a game master and a player, you're limiting yourself to what potentially can happen in the future and what can potentially happen um, with other players, with other game masters, maybe. You know, something that I really like to do and my players have said, Brian, I hate you for it, but I also love you for it. And it's like I don't use their backstory against them in the same like I don't say, oh, you have living parents. Ah, like, no, who's dying. Like, yeah, like, like, no, like, GG. No, I don't want to do that. I want to say, oh, your oath. And again, I'll use my character that I play in um in our in another podcast on Behold the D&D podcast. Uh, his name's Sir Balasar, Dragonborn Paladin, Oath of Conquest. He believes that he re- or he believed that he received a vision from Bahamut to rid the world of evil. And obviously, 
in his mind, it's like, oh, we were taught, I was taught, I was raised to think Tiamat is evil. So therefore, anyone who serves Tiamat, I will destroy. But what he's been realizing and noticing as of late is, oh, that, you know, that kobold over there, that kobold family who doesn't know a lot. And again, you know, just kind of spoilers for those people who are listening. Um, and my DM, I know, doesn't care. But it's the it's the calamity of, oh, that kobold family is like really innocent. But they have an image of Tiamat. That might, you know, that, you know, his oath as a paladin would tell him, oh, they believe in Tiamat. Convert them or die. It's kind of like, you know, you you see that in other world religions. And, you know, as opposed to the, the moral choice that he feels, well, they haven't done anything wrong. That is inserting tension and drama in a way. And again, I... You know, it's one of those things. It it takes. It's just a little bit. You don't have kind of like what you said. You don't have to have that full fledged forest, yeah. right? You have Absolutely. two adjectives, and you go from there because your players actually might come up with something that's like, whoa, this is really good. Right, and it's so it's so interesting that you mentioned that because I'll I think a lot of that also comes down to, and I I I have st- I, I it took me a while to get here, right? But yeah. I encourage DMs to just regardless of whatever you're playing. Mm-hmm. sit down and have a very open and honest and likely uncomfortable, right? Yeah. You're the DM. Your job is to be comfortable with be, uh, being uncomfortable, right? Yeah. And that's that's not fun sometimes, but I think that we, we can reduce discomfort by having those conversations sure. up front. And a lot for of sure. times, for my players specifically, um, and I'll clarify what I meant just a little bit later, but specifically mm-hmm. with this session zero is to say, okay, you have a character, right? Like after we had our sessions here, where we discussed themes, what they wanted to get from the world, what they, I actually asked them specifically, do you want your character's backstory to have an impact on the world? Mm-hmm. Everybody was a resounding yes. I said, okay. Yeah, it will. Um, but it was, it was ha- coming to that agreement as a group and saying, you have said yes to this. So therefore I have the permission and go ahead to do it. Yeah. So when it happens, we are not surprised. <laughs> Yeah, I already had that conversation. So um, and that even comes down to characters who, you know, uh, so it, it's very interesting that you mentioned that, like writing the character into a corner is saying, okay, you've got a lot of backstory here. How do you want your character to develop? Mm, yes. Right? Because if you want to come in and play a static character that doesn't develop, then tell me. And that I'll have to plan for that in my games. And that's totally acceptable. And that's a okay. Yeah, for sure. But if you want your character to develop, let's talk about that. Yeah. It, and you might give me the finish line. You may give me goalposts. You may give me a full fledged arc, right? That's fine. Or maybe some ideas of arcs. That's cool. But I'm going to ask you as the game master for your trust to be able to take that and run with it and kind of, and build on it. Have you ever had a player say that they wanted to be the bad guy? I have not. I have had players who um, have come to me and said, I don't think my character would stick with these people. Ooh, how do you handle that? So it, I mean, frankly, we got to a point where it was like, okay, if that's the case, right, we will have a conversation. At, like at that point, you can come to me and we can have that conversation. But in fairness to a group of people who are sitting down and agreeing to play a game together, we yeah. all 
<laughs> are entitled to know this. Yes. Right? So it was saying, all right, as a group, would you rather me take this to the group or would you rather I put some choices in front of the group to confirm your character's suspicions, mm -hmm. right? I can do that subtly. And if they're confirmed, what's the plan of action that you want to take with that character? Mm. Right? Because I'm not going to tell you to write somebody out of a story that we're writing together. For sure. But I'm also not going to sit there and be like, you have to disband because one of the characters doesn't get along. Those are uncomfortable conversations. They how, just are. So how do you handle uncomfortable conversations in general? Like, you know, I know you mentioned that for a specific kind of reason. But um, for those folks out there that may say, well, you know, Alan and Brian, that's great and all. But I have this uncomfortable situation or I may have that, you know, toxic player, so to speak. Right. Let's mm -hmm. let's use that. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, for the and term, it's again, a real thing. it is. It really is. Like we don't mean to be. We're we're not. And in, our intention is not to be mean or cold-hearted. Mm -hmm. But there are those toxic players out there that perhaps they're toxic because one, you know, for whatever reason, they're just like that. And it's you know what? It's not okay, but it's also okay because we have to have empathy for them, right? Right. We have to be empathetic to them and say, you know what? Maybe they're maybe they're toxic because of how they were raised or the environment they grew up in or the environment that they grew up in as a gamer. We often forget that they might be the best, the coolest person outside of games, right? Yeah. But then when you bring them into the gaming world, they think like X, Y, Z. I know a lot of, I, I know one particular player and I love him to death. He is, he is, he's like family. But he grew up playing strategic war games. I mean, when he plays this, when he plays like Kingdom, like you know, Total King, you know, or Kingdoms Total War, um, he plays to conquer. He he conquer. He he's strategic. When he plays a role playing game, it's the same thing. He doesn't transition well right. into that. So a lot of times, his character has been no. We're going to do this, 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 and that. And it's, but you know what? It's okay. It happens. But, I, you know, sometimes you have to sit down and say, hey, like, you know, are you enjoying the game? Are you, like, what can we do to make your game better? Um, what's that, you know, and talk to them. But it's it's kind of a case by case. What do you think about that, though? So a lot of, I actually think that having gone through this in multiple different, multiple different avenues, right? I think that the first thing that I learned was let's get all cards on the table right off the gate. Mm -hmm. Um, so the way that I conducted my session zero is, as I kind of mentioned, I'll go into a little bit more detail now was I'm going to bring it was, and this was an idea from a very dear friend of mine who introduced me to D and D and I, he was my DM. So, yes. uh, I took it and tweaked a little bit and I literally had a slideshow presentation of Google slides that were four slides on the mm. first slide. And each slide had four words. That's all it had. Mm -hmm. Slide one was world themes, themes in the world. These mm -hmm. are just what we have happening. Next was continent themes. Mm -hmm. Let's zoom in a little bit more. The la the next to last was the feel of the world. How do you want it to feel? Yeah. And then the fourth was what's your involvement and what are you looking to get from this? Okay. And from those four words, I literally pulled it up on a on a screen and I said, get out a piece of paper, rank these one to four. Mm. And like we are all going to talk about them together, and we're all going to reveal what our number one through number four is, mm 
Mm-hmm. And then we're going to add it up. They're going to be different weights. And we're going to, that's what we're going to agree on rolling with. And before I move to the next slide, we're going to get full agreement that we're okay with that breakdown. Okay. Um, so that was thing one. And I learned that because not every, so I have somebody in my group who is incredibly tactically minded, does an incredible job in combat and really lives for it. But surprised to me, right, has grown in RP because he has seen the value of how I actually pulled, I actually had a conversation with him. I said, I know that you like combat. I would like to provide for you meaningful combat that is meaningful in ways outside of what happens in initiative order. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with that? And he was like, yeah, sure. And I said, that means that social exploration, all of these things can lead to more meaningful things happening that may or may not appear in combat dependent upon your actions. Mm-hmm. So, okay, great, cool. So let's agree on that. Um, and getting that stuff out in the first place was really important. I also have had a situation where we have to sit back and kind of look and say, there is a table for everyone, for every type of player. That table might not be mine. Yep. I Yep, I agree. I've talked about it in several posts where, and I, and I think some people may or may not struggle with this. I don't know. You know, I experiences are different um we we tend to forget that we still need to be empathetic even to that wang rod right you know like we need to be empathetic to that person and try to actually help them find a table if if we can obviously if if they're too toxic you as the game master kind of have to be that buffer and say you know what bud like i think if you you know if you were to go on this facebook page or this you know I don't know, poster board or whatever that's at the game store, maybe you can find something better that suits you a little bit more. Um, It happens. We've all probably had that experience. And at the end of the day, like you said, having that meaningful experience, there's, it's a very packed, it's a very heavy, you know, term to say. Um, So I, I, no, I really agree with that. Um, You know, again, speaking about meaningful experiences and encounters and whatnot, you know, we taught, we spoke a little bit, and, you know, we actually started with like, how do you make it meaningful? What would you recommend for that first time DM, right? Who's probably, who might, or, or you know, or GM, whatever, uh, but they're listening to this and they're like, I am actually going to start playing soon and I really want to make it meaningful, you know, make this session meaningful, but I don't know where to start. What would you recommend and what would you tell that person how to do it? I would say that making everything meaningful is too much pressure on yourself and on the table. Look for things that are easily connected first, that aren't a reach, especially for a first-time DM, right? Find things that are connections that make sense in story and the story that you are trying to tell with your players as Mm -hmm. a collective. Find those things that are easy connections. And don't feel pressured to make everything meaningful. That is a huge mental strain that I've put on myself before and then had to step back and realize that, no, everything can't be meaningful. Yeah. But, and if everything is meaningful, then nothing's meaningful at that point, yep. right? Like, so let's find those things that make sense. One. Two. Players will tell you 
mm-hmm. what it is that they want. Oh, they'll let in you know. Game. They'll let you know. It. I mean, easy, right? You can either <laughs> ask them out of game as mm-hmm. a player, what do you want? Or in game, the character will say something that might be ad lib, but it's canon. Oh no, it's coming from the heart. Trust me, folks. Well, yeah. <laughs> like when you, you know, I love my players, but they are like, you know what? And again, my players are great. They're new to D and D, but they took, you know, the it, kind of like when you see like the the big pile of like candy at Halloween or whatever, and you're like, do I go for that or do I go for like the little M M&M and M? packet thing and it's like no they went for the full size candy bar they went for the pile so they of course reddit and tumblr are you know is what taught them so my player that's playing a bard oh man they learned how to bard on tumblr and on no and on reddit and i was like oh no now no no i know what this is going to lead to and it and it's leading to where you think it's going to lead to i mean just think shrek 2 that's what they that's what this bard wants to create he wants to seduce the dragon and make dragon babies. And I'm like, oh, no. But, you know, you deal with that. You you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to make it in count. I'm going to make it memorable. And as we said earlier, every action has a positive and negative reaction. Right. It, it's OK. Like we talk about player agency a lot as mm-hmm. as game masters and DMs. Right. We talk about player agency and not wanting to remove agency. For sure. OK. I will allow you to try almost anything within the confines of what we have agreed to at our table. Correct. Right? Because, again, we have to have that very honest and candid conversation up front. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's going to work. Right? It could be a natural 20. It does. That natural 20 is not auto success. Right? Like, it's just, hey, that's a great role. (laughs) Like, I mean, you get get to add your modifier to it now. Um, So, it's... I'll let I'll let players try almost anything within the confines of what we've agreed upon. Um, and it's just when you say Bard, it's so funny in the game. One of the games that I'm playing and I'm I have the opportunity to play in two different games. I'm playing a Bard because I've never played a Bard before. And when I sat down and I talked to the DM, I was like, I'm not going to be your the Bard everybody sees. Right. I'm yeah. I'm curious about exploring like let's talk about a Bard that has that genuinely does not want to be a talker. Let's, let's explore that. Mm. Like I want to explore that. Um, or explore the bard that, you know, like in actual historic documentations where you see that the bard had power. The, yeah. The, what the bard said, what the minstrel said was canon. It was, it, you know, so you never wanted to upset the minstrel. Because right. then they would go around traveling talking about, or you actually really didn't want to talk business, so to speak, in front of the minstrel because that minstrel could actually be a spy and communicate. You know, there's so many different things. Yeah. So it's just, it's very interesting to me to, to when, we, when you talk about that, I, I automatically jump to player agency. And then from there, it's only, it's a, it's a short walk to, well, that's what my character would do, right? Which makes oh, me... Yeah. Which makes me at t- I'm just going to be very honest from my perspective. At times, like kind of makes me cringe and kind of makes me proud, right? Like there are very opposite extremes there. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, let's try. It yeah. might not work. <laughs> there's oh, it's it. There's a possibility, but doesn't mean that it's probable. Yeah. Like you know, yeah, you can perhaps throw. <laughs> You know, you can throw a stone over, and, I, and this is actually something that my players did, which I was really proud of. 
they were like, oh, we want to distract some guards. So let's throw this rock over here and make it sound like the, you know, the bushes are rustling. That's perfect. That would be something that you can do in real in real in the real world. But then there is the the stretch of like, oh, we're gonna throw our half elf, you know, and you know, throw him in the air, and then um, he's gonna eldritch blast the 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 vampire lord, which they did because one, it was cool, but two, they were like, you know, and again, we were. We were laughing from we were crying because we were laughing so hard. They yeeted him as they as the kids say nowadays. And, you know, they it's like I said, half elves are very light in my world because elves are light in my world, like, you know, that of Tolkien. So they were able to throw him and fastball special. Right. And he was able to Eldridge blast him. And I mean, again, yeah, he rolled a natural 20. But for the fact that they had done everything leading up to that in a way that's like, okay, you have a monster hunter with you who said, use this to stop the vampire from regenerating. And then the cleric that was playing took their water satchel, blessed it in their god's name, like on the spot. And I was like, hmm, you're right. You're not metagaming because the the monster hunter just said that they needed that type of sacred and they needed all this stuff. Like they started the monk who, you know, he was a dragonborn monk. He started to say, wait a minute, like, you know, because he's kind of like the Buddhist Taoist monk. He was like, huh, wait a minute. Like I can use my martial art ability to stake that. Like they started to basically kind of do what you were saying. Like they were putting all the things realistically from their past and from their knowledge as a character and put it together that when they rolled that natural 20 and did that, it's like, you know what? That's cool. It makes yeah. sense. And it's the rule of cool, you know? And I, I think you and I could both agree on that is if you are 80 to 90% doing the right thing in the regards of like, Hey, you know what? We are playing true to like our character. You know, we, like you said, you had that one character that said, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to be with this, adventuring party i don't know if i as a character would continue and you're living true to that being respectful that natural 20 when you slice the dragon's head off you earned it cool good for you exactly so like dungeon masters are facilitators of enjoyment right like that is that is what we do at the very core and crux of the job is to have players around a table and we all have fun we all have fun and ha- and seeing you have fun as a game master gives us joy right right if i can elicit an emotional response then i have succeeded in my job right if that if i have elicited any sort of emotion the emotion that was the targeted emotion right like if we have an event that is like oh scary they're scared great we got that response if we have an emotion that they're happy and they're they're joy and they're crying from joy listen i'm over the moon yeah um so that I think is the biggest job of a, of the dungeon master, and that and you know what? At times, at times it means if they if the character has done everything that makes sense, mm-hmm. and they outwit me and what it is that I'm trying to, and I'm not the wittiest person on the face of the earth. I will never ever say that. But if they outwit me in my planning, yeah, right. I'll roll, ignore the roll, and be like, okay, that worked. Kudos. Right. right. That's that's because you've done everything right. Let's reward that. Yeah, Don't feel like sure. you have to be this the the judge and jury with the gavel. That, that gets so tiring. 
um, it's annoying. Facilitate fun. Yeah. Facilitate fun. We, you know, we're not, I think one thing, and especially, you know, we would probably tell it to people until we're blue in the face is that we're not here to destroy your fun. We're not no. here to, you know, be a rules lawyer, which again, even the rules lawyer, if that's their way of having fun, okay, whatever. Right. But we're here to facilitate that everyone has fun. And that's the underlying thing, everyone, including yeah, ourselves. For sure. So, um, you know, with all that being said, um, I, one, you know, one kind of silly question that I do want to ask before um, we do have to wrap it up. What is your favorite race and class combo? You know, with that, like when you, again, talking about world building, talking about everything, talking about something that you want it to be realistic. Like with all that being said, when you create a character, do you like to create, you know, the typical like dwarf barbarian uh, who rages and speaks in a Scottish accent, drinks a lot of ale, perhaps maybe too much ale. Um, we won't talk about that, but <laughs> you know, like, or do you like to say, you know what? I have a lot of enjoyment about, you know, writing the elf barbarian. Like right. not a lot of people talk about the elf barbarian that maybe, you know, they're not, they're not the, 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 the typical low intelligence. No, they're actually very smart when it comes to combat. Yeah. So, yeah. What Ooh, do you think about that? That's tough, right? So I've, I actually had never been introduced to the concept of min-maxing in classes, right? Mm -hmm. My, the first ever character I rolled up was a dragonborn druid. Um, nice. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I had no, I had no concept of it. And my DM at the time was like, "You are you sure you want to do that? There are other better races mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. be a druid." And I was like, "No, this seems pretty cool." Um, so I would, I, a character that intrigues me that I want to play like desperately want to play as I want to play a Kinku bard. Um, a bard that is, is limited to weaving stories based on what that they have only what they have heard and can mimic. Um, that I think would be, I've, I've wanted to play that for a bit. Um, and I think that'd be really enjoyable it because it intrigues me. Um, yeah. so I think if you were asking like what I would play right now and what's intriguing me right now, that would be it just because I'm playing a bard now I'm playing an, uh, an Asimir bard. Oh, um, uh, so a protector Asmir. So it's like it's not like the it's not the fallen. It's not like it's not the stereotypical one that you'd pick, right? To be, yeah, yeah. To, but um, it's it's a really interesting thing that I was like when I I choose my character classes and and the race and class based on like the story that I want that that person to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's always I I think that's backwards, honestly. I maybe that's backwards, but that's kind of my approach. But in terms of like the favorite, oh, that's tough. I, I think that I would love my next character. I would love to play as a King Koo bard just because it intrigues me so much. I hear that. No, I respect that a lot. And I think it's good to have a mix of both. You should, you know, for as many care, you know, as many classes and races that there are in D and D, you should feel free to come up with a combination of however many you want. Um, com <laughs> Heck, I mean, you know, homebrew one, if you please. Want. Yeah. That that's that's probably one of the coolest things we as game masters would love to see is hey you know GM I homebrewed this can you take a look at it yes absolutely in a heartbeat in a yeah. heartbeat I'd look at it yeah the, the one thing that I would mention that I think that needs to be said and I don't know if enough people say it in with regards to D and D is that 
I don't think clerics get enough love. <laughs> they really don't. They um, do, but they don't. Yeah, it's I, I feel and I've had this very candid conversation with my players, is why do you look at a cleric as a heel bot? That's not a cleric. Yeah, no. Um, so I think, so when you kind of, it jogged my memory there, when you asked about favorite class, I would say, honestly, if I were to play one class and pick every different domain known to man, it would be cleric. And I'd do it right off the cuff. Clerics are naturally, and they were historically the kind of the, the leader of the party because they could heal, they could command, they can, they can do a lot of different things. And clerics naturally were like that they were the war priests so to speak they they did a lot so i really like that i, I really you know personally i like i i have to say i'm you know it's paladin cleric fighter kind of like my mate like my melee or melee however you want to pronounce it like that is what i enjoyed but i i think really now that I, you know looking at it like clerics don't get enough love when they really should and they're yeah. not the heel bot they are so diverse in their way of i mean just from a role play perspective like massive look at the grave domain like you know oh it's fantastic like you know you're not you know you're not like an evil death cleric no like you on the contrary you you want things to be of a natural essence What's the balance? Like, that's how I view... Because I actually... I'm playing a grave cleric, and that's the entire purpose of his, like, listen, I'm not one to mete out justice. My God is. So mm-hmm. we'll do a little mini consultation. If it's not your time, guess what? Not your time. Let's roll. Yep. Yep. I actually played a grave domain cleric uh, in Curse of Strahd, which, folks, is really fun, actually, to do that. Just saying. Um, it, it just because, you know, if you think about... If you haven't played Curse of Strahd... I mean, you're dealing with an undead. You're dealing with someone who escaped death and you're out to... And essentially, we actually took that module and ha- and ran those characters past that module when everything was done because we were like, oh, my god essentially sent me to Barovia to enact justice and go from there. Except, you know, our party, we we kind of like... And again, this is up to everyone, but if you play a module, like play it how you want to play it. Obviously, do what you want to do, like read the rules and read the module. But, you know, spoiler alert for those who have who haven't played it at the end of the module. Things happen. Let's just say, I'll say that. Yeah. I actually don't really want to spoil they it. They sure do. Things sure do happen at the end of that module. <laughs> Things happen. And you know what? If you don't want that to happen, you can say it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It so doesn't happen. that's what I say. But you know what? I think I think that's a good place uh, to to stop in the regards that if we were to keep talking, we could probably end up talking for like four or five hours. But, you know, who doesn't <laughs> want to talk? We don't need sleep. What are we talking about? Actually, yeah, right. Who needs it? We're going to keep going. You know what? Work can wait. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No. But anyway, Alan, I appreciate you coming on to the show. Where can people find you and follow you um, to see the stream, to follow what you're doing um, on, you know, on a social media aspect? Uh, So we are on most of the platform, all the platforms. Facebook is natural underscore 20. Twitter is D in the letter N D natural 20. Uh, Instagram is natural20dnd, and on Twitch, we are rollnat20. Um, 
And then YouTube is just natural 20, right? Uh, so we're on all those platforms. Um, and it's, it's a learning experience for sure, but we mm -hmm. appreciate anybody who comes and hangs out and follows. Uh, it means the world to me and uh, I'll speak on behalf of the players. So to them as well. And what's your Twitch, uh, what's the stream schedule like? So we stream every Tuesday, or we will get back to it once our mm -hmm. once the current world circumstances is passed. But we stream every Tuesday from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. and beyond some nights. <laughs> Eastern time? Uh, so 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Tuesdays. All right, folks. Well, you heard it from Alan. Go and check him out on social media. Go to YouTube. Go to Twitch. Follow. Um, and again... If you did enjoy this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. I'd really appreciate it. And as always, folks, keep gaming.